Well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, thanks for being back here this afternoon. Pastor Matt is driving the teens to camp right now. Uh, I'm guessing they've got to be somewhere close to Denver by now. They're probably in Silverthorne at the Nike outlet, though, if I know them. Um, but uh, so you guys are stuck with me again, and uh, I'm not going to try to teach uh, Pastor Matt's series tonight. So I just thought we would go to Second Kings and continue with our study from Wednesday nights. In Wednesday nights, we've been going through First Kings, and now we're into Second Kings. Uh, and I really enjoy it. I enjoy the details and and looking back at the way God worked in the lives of people, or the way people responded. And uh, we see a lot of uh, frustrating things of people just forsaking God and doing what they want to do. Um, so. Few and far between, we find good, good, positive, encouraging stories uh, in the Kings. Uh, today we're going to look at, I titled it, Adventures with Elisha. Um, it's just like records of Elisha, of a couple of things that he went through. And um, I was going to try to do half the chapter, but there was no good stopping point. So uh, we're just going to do to verse number 37. Um, but we'll go, we'll go quickly, just like we do on Wednesday nights. Um, but 2 Kings chapter 4, and start in verse number 1. But let's have a word of prayer, and then uh, we'll jump into our text. Dear Father, I thank you uh, so much for this time that we can have together. I thank you for the way that you work in our lives. I thank you for the way that you love us and care for us, and that uh, you shed your love abroad in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Um, I just, I thank you that you love us in a way that we can grasp and in a way that we can feel, in a way that uh, we know is real. We might not be able to explain it or fully wrap our minds around it, but we do know that you love us and that you care for us. And I thank you so much for that. Please work in our hearts this afternoon. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So Wednesday we did, we did chapter 3. Um, if you remember that, and we saw a battle take place, we saw, we saw God give victory to these three kings. And uh, if, if you remember, these three kings come together, there's no water, they, they start kind of stressing out like God brought us three kings together and we're just going to die in this valley. And they look for a man who can help them. And they find Elisha, and Elisha has some words for the king of Israel, because the king of Israel had forsaken God and, and done his own thing, but the king of Judah was, was upright, and he was right before God. So Elisha says, basically, you're lucky this guy was here, or I wouldn't even talk to you, speaking to the king of Israel. But he ends up saying, dig these ditches, God will provide water for you and for your cattle, and God will give you the victory. And uh, then the enemy kind of creeps up on him and looks down in the valley. They look down in the valley. God had brought this water. There was no wind. There was no storm. This water shouldn't have been there, but God brought this water for them and for their animals. But when the enemy looks down, when the Moabites look down and they see the water appears as it's red like blood. So they look down in this valley, they see the water, and they think that uh, the kings had went to battle against each other. They had killed each other. Their blood was pooled up everywhere. Kind of a nasty thought. But they just run down in there to take the spoils, like a a free-for-all of, of goodies because all these people killed each other. So they go down in there and God gives them the victory. They run them out of the land. Uh, the, let's see, it was Edom, it was Israel, and it was Judah. Run them out of the land. They go back, they kind of have them cornered. And then we have the king of Moab 
hangs his own son, sacrifices his own son on the wall of the city. So it's kind of a disturbing way to end. Um, but we see Israel going back to their own place. The people were really mad at Israel because this king sacrificed his own son on the wall. So now that leads us into chapter 4. And uh, we just see Elisha. We see him going around two big events in Elisha's life. Uh, verse 1, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. So what's going on here? We talked about the sons of the prophets a few weeks ago on Wednesday night. And what that was, was it was a group of prophets who would spend time together. They would encourage each other. They would be there for each other. They would eat meals together. Some of them even lived together. But it was a group um, of, of prophets. And what we have is we have one of these men dying, and he had apparently owed money to this creditor, and he dies. His creditor comes to take back what this guy owed him. His wife has nothing to pay, so he was going to take this wife's, this wife's two sons to pay the debt, which was apparently a common thing where your family would be a slave until you paid the debt, or you would work a full year until the year of, of Jubilee, and then you could be freed from your debt. So this creditor comes in and he's going to take this wife's two boys, this lady's two kids, away to pay her husband's debt. Which I would imagine that just being traumatizing to a lady, losing her husband, and now they want to take her sons too. So uh, apparently they're, they're younger sons. Um, I don't know how old they were, but uh, the creditor wants to take them away. Verse, so she cries out to Elisha, verse 2, And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. So Elisha says, Well, what can I do for you? How, how can I help you out? Let's figure this out. What do you have that, that we can work with, that we could sell, that we could help pay off your debt? And she says, I don't have anything but a little pot of oil. So Elisha says, Go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. So the story's getting interesting here. He says, go around, borrow as many pots as you can. I don't see him putting a number on there. He just says, borrow as many as you can and make sure it's more than a few. Like, get lots of pots. And I'll tell you my thoughts on this as we go further. But verse 4, And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So you see what's going on here? She has this little tiny pot of oil. She's supposed to get all these big pots. So she's going to take them in the house. She's supposed to shut the door. Now her shutting the door, Elisha would be on the outside. So it's her and her sons in the house, which I think it's significant because we can see it's God that is performing this miracle. It's not Elisha in there doing his thing, even though he operated under the power of God. But we have this picture of this, this poor widow woman and her two young sons with nothing, just trusting. I mean, she could have got admitted to uh, mental help probably if she would have told her neighbors, hey, this is what I'm doing with your pots. I'm going to start filling out of this little pot. And there's no way I should even be able to fill up one. Right? So that's what he tells her to do. Then we get into verse... Five, so she went from him and shut the door upon her 
and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. So she starts pouring, she starts filling these pots. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more, and the oil stayed. So filling up all these pots, all these big vessels. When that last pot was full, this is where my thinking comes in. I bet she was thinking, I wish I would have borrowed more pots. I wish I would have reached out to more neighbors. Because look what she gets to do. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay the debt, and live thou and thy children with the rest. So she said, pay off your debt, your children won't have to be slaves, and then whatever oil is left that you sell, you, you can live off either the oil or the money left over from that. So that's why I'm thinking, man, if she had a lot of pots, she could have really taken care of herself. But I think it's very important here because uh, to recognize that she had no way of taking care of herself. Her sons, all they would have been used for was to be slaves to pay off a debt, but she would have had no way to provide for herself. I mean, that's what the, the kids would have done in that time. You relied on, on your husband. You relied on your your kids to provide for you, to take care of you. And we have this lady with nothing. And she has the potential of losing her kids. And she has this faith in God, faith in what Elisha says about God, to do this. And she does it. God provides. And God takes care of her and her needs are met. So, interesting adventure with Elisha. The next one, verse number 8, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman. I had to read that a couple of times where it talks about a great woman. Because in my mind, what is he talking about? Like, is it a really large woman? Is, is, it, a, is it a powerful woman? What's going on with this woman? But that word great is talking about she was great in wealth and in social prominence. So she was an important lady. She had a lot to offer, and we'll see more about it. But this place, Shunem, would be on the east end of the Jezreel Valley. So Elisha heads into the, the Jezreel Valley here. He meets this, this great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as often as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. So this lady sees Elisha. She wants, to take, she wants to take care of him. She wants to give him food, take care of the man of God here. Uh, anytime he comes by, she wants to take care of him. Verse 9, And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is an holy man of God which passeth by us continually. So she has a little perception there. She thinks this is an important man. So what does she want to do? Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. And let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. So can you picture this lady going to her husband? Hey, honey, let's, let's put an addition on the house. We have this man of God that comes by. We give him food, but let's take care of him. Let's, let's give him a table. Let's give him a bed. Let's, give him, oh, let's take care of him so he can do what he needs to do and not have to worry about stuff while he's here. So she presents it to her husband, and they go forward with it. Verses 11 and 12, And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. So he goes into this room that was prepared for him. And he said to Gehazi his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, he stood before him, or she stood before him. So Elisha has this man he travels with. He helped him do different things. And 
Um, it seems a lot to me like Elisha was to Elijah, except for the, the hand of God being involved in the double portion and all that. But we have him along Elisha. Elisha could train him, but he could also help Elisha with things. And he's apparently a younger man who can move a lot faster than Elisha. And we'll see that as we go down the story. But he tells this Gehazi to go tell the lady to come and stand before him. Uh, verse, verse 13. You can also find Gehazi in chapter 5, so we'll probably see him on Wednesday when we do our study. But verse 13, And he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among mine own people. So what can we can see from all that is she was completely tent with where content, not tent, completely content with where she was at and what was going on in her life. She didn't want anything special to be done for her before kings or, or powerful people. She said, I dwell with my own people. I'm I'm happy here. I'm content with where I'm at. And he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. So we get the impression that, that, she, was, that she was bare and that she didn't have kids, um, or at least a son. Uh, we see that her husband was old, said that. So that gives us the idea that he could, he could die at any time, and then she'd be left with nothing, with, with no one. She'd be all alone. Um, and then she says, don't lie to me. Don't build up my hopes to disappoint me later. Because that's a big deal. You tell a lady who has wanted kids her whole life that, okay, you're going to have kids, and then you, you trick her you're probably going to get smacked at a minimum. Like that, that's a big deal. So she says, don't get my hopes up here. Then verse 17, And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her according to the time of life. So she conceived, she has a son, just like Elisha said, she's given this child. And when the child was grown... It fell on a day that he went out to his father to the reapers. So this, this boy, their kid, gets a little older. He goes out with his father to work or to be in the field with him. And he said unto his father, My head, my head. And he said to a lad, Carry him to his mother. So I picture this young boy, a boy small enough that if he's sick, another younger child or young man could carry him home. But he runs up to his dad, my head, my head. And from what I can gather, they think that it was possibly sunstroke. I don't know what was wrong with him, but his head was hurt. He was sick. He was very sick. So his dad tells him, run, run this kid home. So he runs the kid home. Um, verse number 20. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon, and then he died. So this child dies, this, this promised child to this woman, her, her only son, he dies while she is holding him. Verse 21, And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God 
and shut the door upon him and went out. So she lays her dead child down in Elisha's room, the addition onto the house. Verse 22, And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. Do you notice what she didn't tell her husband there? Your son's dead. Your child's dead. She just asked him to, to help her out. Verse 23, And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. well it's going okay. to be fine. Just get me the stuff so I can go see this man of God. And this, how it's talking about the, the Sabbath and uh, the new moon and uh, whatever the other words were there, that's talking about a time when he would have been available, when it would have been uh, kind of a time of rest there where uh, she would have been able to get a hold of him. So that's why the husband was kind of questioning there, well, how are you, you going to do this? How are you going to find him? You know, where is he going to be? And he, she said, it's going to be fine. Everything's going to work out fine. Verse 24, Then she saddled an ass and said to her, her servant, Drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding from me, except I bid thee. So get going. Don't stop. Don't slow down unless I tell you to. Verse 25, So she went <clears throat> and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off that she said, or sorry, that he said to Gehazi his servant, Behold, Yonder is that Shunammite. So he sees this lady coming, coming, saddles blazing. I mean, they're trying to, trying to get there. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her, and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. So that's interesting. 27, And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. So she grabs him by the feet. Uh, this is a sign of, of humility, her, her falling down at the feet of Elisha. Remember, her son is dead, and she's, trying to, she's going to be begging for, for help here. So she falls down at his feet, but Gehazi came near to thrust her away. So Elisha's servant tries getting this woman away from him. Like, what are you, why are you acting crazy? What's, what's happening here? But Elisha says, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her. And the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. So he says, hey, leave her alone. Something's going on in her life. Something huge is going on. She's vexed. She's, she's tore up. She's hurting inside. And in his mind, it's like, God hasn't told me what's, what's going on here. Like, I know something is horribly wrong. This lady came and found me. It's not even a special day for her to find me. She's at my feet. She's humbling herself. What is going on here? God has hid it from me. Let's hear what she has to say. Verse 28, <clears throat> Then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? So she's recalling what she said earlier, and what's going on? You said you were going to give me a son, and now you've taken him? Like, he's dead already? Why are you messing with me? Why is my son dead? Verse 29, Then he said to Gehazi, Gird up thy loins, and take my staff in thine hand, and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not, 
and if any salute thee, answer him not again, and lay my staff upon the face of the child. So we have Elisha, we have the mother of the child, they're going to head back, but his servant must have been a pretty fast runner, because he says, you know, tie your clothing up tight and take off running, and, and take my rod or my staff with you and lay it on the face of the child. And the idea that we get from this is, is he's going faster than Elisha, but that, that rod would have been a picture of the presence of Elisha and, and him kind of confirming and, and wanting this to happen. So he sends him ahead with his staff, verse 30, And the mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. So Elisha and the woman make their way to the house. And Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awake. So it, it didn't work. He didn't come back to life. Verse 32, And when Elisha was come into the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. So the child is really dead at this point. It's not like he's taking a nap. It's not like he's just really sick. He is really dead, as dead as you can get. This child is dead. And this mom is brokenhearted, and this dad apparently still doesn't know what's going on with his kid. He's still out in the field uh, taking care of the, the crops. Verse 33, And he went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them twain, and prayed unto the Lord. So first thing Elisha does is pray. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. So Elisha prays to God. We don't know what he, what he said in this, this passage or what happened, but we know that he prays to God, and I imagine him begging God for what to do, begging God to show him how to help this child, begging God to help this child come back to life. And then he goes up and just lays on the child, um, which was interesting to me. But Elijah responded very similarly in 1 Kings uh, chapter 17. Verse 17. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick, and his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode, and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. So we see this very similar thing taking place. So I wonder if Elisha's prayer was something like that because he responded pretty close to the same way that Elijah did as far as laying upon the child. So verse 
35, I believe. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him and the child sneezed seven times. Oh, we loved that detail. The child becomes warm. Elisha's Elisha's pacing back and forth. The child sneezes seven times and the child opens his eyes. He's healed. He's alive. God brought a miracle. He brought this kid back to life. Verse 36, And he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her, and when she was come in unto him, he said, Take up thy son. And she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. Uh, there was a lot of joy at that point. I mean, think of the emotional roller coaster that this lady had went on as, as she knew Elisha. And we see her son getting sick, but we also get to see God's, God's power. I mean, I, I wonder how that lady's faith increased from that point because there was no doubt her son was dead. And she had no, no hope but trying to track down this man of God and trusting in God to take care of it. And Elisha comes and we see God's hand just working in a mighty way. And it, I mean, adventures with Elisha. We see Elisha, this stuff going on in his life, this man of God, the, the hand of God, the power of God on his life. And remember, he asked for that double portion that Elijah had. And we see God just using him to do incredible things. And we see God proving himself to be real. And we see the, the power of God working through Elisha. And uh, if you want to hear more on the story, you can come back on Wednesday uh, and we'll, we'll pick up with, with chapter 4 and probably go into chapter 5 a little bit. Um, but I just love seeing God, God working. And God can still work and God still does work. He's not just a, a God of the Old Testament. He is still alive and He's still powerful and He can still work in our lives and He can still do miracles and He can still heal and He can still comfort and He's alive and he's, he's powerful. And I don't just want us to think of God as only working in the Old Testament because he's still alive and he is still working today. Um, but I'm just so thankful for the God that we have. Uh, let's, let's have a word of prayer, then we'll be dismissed. Dear Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for our time together. I thank you that you love us and that you care for us. pray that you will watch over us uh, this week. I pray that you will help us to focus on you and to... Uh, love you and to praise you for who you are. Thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.